Hello everyone, my name is Grant and welcome to a very, very long overdue episode 3 of the Wall of Wax podcast. Uh, you know, I don't really have a good excuse for why it's taken so long in between episode 2 and 3 other than just life happens. You know, I I had a lot going on and, and uh, like most people, but um, you know, I... If I'm being honest, I had a I had a third option already, and I started doing research for it. And you know, nothing against that artist. I don't even want to say who it was because I'm going to get a lot of people who are like, "What? You know, how did you get stuck on that guy? You know, that, they're a fantastic artist, great history, and so on." But I don't know. I just kind of reached a dead end and just lost motivation. And then before I knew it, you know, just yeah, life happens, and time went by, and I just never got around to to finally completing the episode and. And I lost interest, and I just, like, I really want to get back to this, but I feel like it's going to take finding a new artist in order to uh, sit back down and, and finally do it again. And and so anyways, I happened to st- uh, stumble across uh, a recommendation for a, uh, a documentary that was done in 2012. And um, I watched it, and oh my God, I was so just... I was so into into the documentary. It was so well made, but also just I had no idea who this artist was. I had heard one of the songs before, but uh, I I had never known their history, and it was just such a fascinating, crazy story to have happen. And I was like, this this is it. This is what I'm going to do episode three on, um, and it's going to get me back into the swing of things. And honestly, since completing that, I've already started researching. I already know who my fourth episode's going to be. I've already, you know, planned out the fifth, and I feel like I got the ball rolling again. And so now I'm back. I'm back, and I'm and I'm going to be doing this every other week. And I'm going to make the time and the effort. Um, my buddy Greg, who uh, runs the, uh, not runs, but you know, ha- has his own podcast, which is the uh, Wild Weird. Um, shout out to Greg, but he, uh, you know, gives me a lot of good advice on, you know, just, you just got to make the time and, and, uh, he's right. So I'm sorry it's been so long, but I'm back and I'm ready to, uh, to really start putting out some good, good stories, good content, and some good artists. Cause I really do love doing this. It's just been, I've been complacent. So no more of that. So today, episode three is going to be on the infamous Man, the myth, the legend, uh, Rodriguez, Sixto Diaz Rodriguez, or better known by his name, stage name, Rodriguez. Uh, again, super, super crazy story. Uh, there's many different ways you can tell it. I'm going to kind of say it my own way, but I, I cannot go forward without pointing out, you know, I, I did watch, uh, I get a lot of this information from his, uh, uh, documentary that was made again in 2012 uh it's called searching for sugar man a uh, great great documentary i highly recommend it uh, i don't think it's on any streaming platform i think you have to rent it for like 2.99 but it's well well worth 2.99 to watch this thing um so i also you know and i also of course use wikipedia i also of course um watched like i said in my uh, preview to this channel i watched uh, documentaries. I, I, I read articles. I, I go on Wikipedia, of course, but I also watch interviews. So I did watch several of his interviews. Um, I just want to make sure I give credit where credit's due. Those were my main sources. So um, yeah, please go and check those out as well. Uh, so yeah, let's get into it. Uh, Sixto Diaz Rodriguez uh, 
Um, he was rumored to have been given that name by his mother because uh, he was their sixth son. I couldn't find out how many brothers or sisters he has, but I know that he has at least an older sister. And again, he was the sixth son, so at least seven. Um, he was born July tenth, uh, nineteen forty-two, in Detroit, Michigan, where he actually still lives to this day, specifically in the uh, Wood Woodbridge area, uh, which actually happens to be where the uh, baseball legend Ty Cobb lived uh, when he played for the Detroit Tigers for like over twenty-two seasons. So, just a little fact, fun fact there. Uh, he was the sixth child, like I said. His a father originated from Mexico. His father moved there when he was 16 so he could uh, work in the auto manufacturing field. Uh, and his mother was actually a, a mix of Native American, but I, I couldn't, f I could not find the life of me find what tribe she was from. But she was a mix of Native American and, and European. Um, Rodriguez uh, believed that his pursuance of music started around the age of 16. Uh, and, and I should put a little disclaimer in here. I'm going to mostly call him Rodriguez because that's what he kind of goes by. But, you know, his his first name is Sixto, so I, I might also go by that as well. Um, so anyways, uh, he, in the late 50s, early 60s, again, he's born 1942, late 50s, early 60s, uh, around the age of 20, he meets his first wife, Rayma uh, Barrett, who is uh, also, she's part Native American, she's part Cherokee. And she ended up marrying him uh, uh, when she was actually in her like late teens. So I think he's a few years older. Uh, and together they had his first two daughters, Ava and Sandra. Around 24, 25, he, uh, again at 16, he's when he, he knew he wanted to pursue music. Around 24, 25 is when he actually released his first single uh, on a small label with uh, the songs I'll Slip Away and You'd Like to Admit It. The label trying to better market him, as as I've said in you know, um, for example, with Creedence Clearwater Revival, they'll try to like alter your band's name or your the artist's name to try to reach a better, larger audience or whatever. Um, so they actually you changed his last name and hyphened it to make it Rod, first name, last name Riguez. So Rod Riguez. But this this never led to anything, you know. And so by uh, 27, so two, three years later, um, he was actually discovered uh, while playing in a, a nightclub called The Sewer, <laughs> a funny name, but uh, The Sewer off the Detroit River in 1969 by two guys, Mike Theodore and uh, Gen uh, Dennis Coffee. I think it's Coffee. It could be Kofi. Um, but they watched him play at, at The Sewer, and uh, they ended up signing him to Sussex Records, which... Uh, was owned by Clarence, I think it's Avent, and that's a L.A.-based um, kind of a, um, off-branch label of um, Buddha, Buddha Records, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, based out of Los Angeles. But anyways, sign him to uh, Sussex Records. And at this point, he he's like, I'm going to go back to what I prefer. I'm going to go back to just Rodriguez, not Rod-riguez, Rodriguez. And uh, he recorded his first album, which was called Cold Fact, in 1970 okay uh, this album which i have to point out was very very dense in political topics because he was a very uh um he strongly stood for the injustice being done uh, he stood up for the injustice being done to the working classes as well as uh the poor treatment of immigrants um 
And I mean, you definitely get, if you listen to his music, which obviously I'm going to highly, highly recommend, you get this kind of Bob Dylan-esque vibe from his music. Uh, it's But it's so poetic. It's so captivating. The lyrics are incredible. Um, but he was actually incredibly stage shy at times. I mean, he was frequently known to play with his back toward the audience. Yeah, but nevertheless, he was he was a big activist and, you know, a big... Um, you know, protester standing up for for rights and um, freedoms and liberties, and and again, like I said, anti-establishment um, for from the time. Um, so definitely for for those who believed in the same cause, uh, who were also anti-establishment, his words definitely had a lot of weight to them and uh, gave many people inspiration. And um, so yeah, that's that's just something very very important about the type of music he was making. Again, Bob Dylan-esque, like, you know, also kind of just this poetic nature and tone to it. And again, when you listen to him, you'll 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 see for yourself. I mean, it's some of the lyrics are are pretty uh deep and and um you know, beautiful. So so anyways, to uh to many people's disbelief though, looking back especially, the album actually went nowhere in the United States. I mean, it, the first album had some amazing tracks such as Sugar Man, Crucify Your Mind, I Wonder, and, and just countless ones. Again, all ones you should go and check out on Spotify or Apple uh, Apple Music. Uh, but his second album, which came out a year later in 1971, uh, called Coming From Reality, also went nowhere in the United States, uh, which is just mind-blowing when you, when you listen to these albums. Um, it was at this point that he, uh, he got dropped from the label, uh, for basically not really putting out any numbers and, uh, eventually just stepped away from a professional career in music in, uh, 1979, just due to lack of success. Uh, at this point, he decided to focus on his family, uh, his work, finishing up his bachelor's degree in philosophy, which he did eventually get after like going to school for over 10 years uh, in 1981 from Wayne State University. Uh, and again, it just it took him so long just because of his uh, pursuance in music. So uh, in 1984, uh, he actually got married to his second wife. I'm not sure when he divorced his first wife, but uh, his second wife and him got married in 1984. Uh, her name was Connie, I think it's Coscos or Couscous. I can't, I think it's Coscos. K-O-S, K-O-S. Uh, they got together and had his third daughter, which I think her name is Regan, or maybe it's, it could be Reagan. I think it's, I think it's Re- Regan. I could be wrong. Uh, Reagan or Regan. And, and that was in 1980. So in addition, he attempted several times to run for a political position to try to be the change that he was always looking for and singing about. And in 1981 and 1980, uh, excuse me, 1981 and 1993, he actually ran for mayor of, of Detroit City, and in 1989, he uh, was looking to join the Detroit City Council, but they actually spelled his name wrong on the ballot, uh, which is terrible. Uh, but then in uh, one more time, he also ran in 2000 for uh, the Michigan House of Representatives, but in, in all those attempts, he unfortunately, he never won. But that just proves that how devoted he was to again speak for the people and try to raise awareness and, and give a voice for these inner city workers and the lower class and the immigrants of of, of Michigan and, and and try to be uh, 
you know, a light for these, for these people. And again, a voice for these people. So throughout his life before, and, you know, even during all of that, um, while he was trying to run for, for these positions and while trying to make a music career and, and so on, he still worked a normal nine to five job, or, you know, in this case, probably a 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. job or whatever it was as in various labor positions. Uh, you know, he worked in manufacturing at a Chrysler plant and several other plants in like uh, the heat treat department. He also did a, a huge amount of construction work throughout his life, specifically in building demolition. And I mean, he did that all the way up into a old age in like into the 2000s. Um, so, uh, I mean, he still to this day lives in the same old home that he purchased almost 50 years ago. Get this for only $50 at the time in a government auction. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a, you know, low income slummy house. I mean, it looks pretty nice still, but I mean, I'm, I, from what I've kind of gathered, it's from like a rough area and, you know, it's, if you watch this documentary, I mean, it's very, you know, old fashioned looking inside. It's not a modern house by any means. Um, but he still lives in it despite, you know, the, his journey through life and, and he lives very simplistically, um, very modest, very reserved. I mean, uh, any money he's ever really been given in excess, he gives to his family. I mean, his friends and his family, he takes care of them first. So again, it just, it just kind of adds to how humble and how caring, uh, this, this, this man is. So anyways, you might be thinking at this point, Grant, I don't understand what made you choose, uh, Rodriguez as an artist to do an episode on. I didn't hear anything super spectacular to, to warrant a story. Well, that's because the truly amazing part of this story actually takes place outside of the U.S. Uh, and, and without his awareness until like the late 1990s, almost 20 years after he, you know, quote unquote, retired from, from a professional career in music due to lack of success. Again, he was let go of Sussex Records due to lack of success. Um, which just turns out to be it's just a major joke when you, when you hear his story. So the, the the this portion of the story is it's rumored on how it began. So the 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 major rumor of how his his fame got started um, began shortly after he released his first album in 1970. Okay. Uh, the rumor is that a girl from uh, from the United States purchased one of the very few copies that actually sold here in the U.S. and took it uh, among some other albums on a trip with her when she went to visit her boyfriend in South Africa. Uh, it was there that she played this album uh, among a few other ones, like I said, to, to some friends, and they loved the album and the messages that he sang about in his music. Now, it, it's an important key fact that you have to know that during this time, specifically from uh, the 1940s until like the early 1990s, South Africa was under the uh, apartheid. I think it's called apartheid. And that's essentially like this, this radical, racially oppressing party that separated whites from other colors. I mean, you could almost, almost compare it to like how the Nazi, uh, Nazi regime ruled in Germany. 
You know, every they were brainwashed. Every they controlled everything that came in or out. They controlled the news. They controlled the radio. What music you could listen to, and so on. I mean, to have this, you know, underground album make it through with an unknown artist who speaks of fighting the injustices of the government, speaking out. I mean, it was incredibly inspiring to to these people. I mean, obviously. You know they're you know they're not able to find any other copies of of this album, so the friends ended up bootlegging a copy of this album and then making more copies for others. And it's like everybody they showed it to made a copy for a friend, made a copy for friends, made a copy for friends, and this album spread like wildfire. And he ended up becoming the voice of the of the people fighting the powers that be, you know. And so in retaliation, you know, multiple anti-establishment South African bands. There was specifically the uh, Africa. I think it's African. It's not African. It's Africa. I think it's African. Uh, A F R I K A A N. Uh, they were citizens that derived from like Western Germany. But these African. I think it's African. Uh, Con musicians. Uh, they began opposing the apartheid via like music and protests. Um, and almost every one of these bands say that they got some or most of their inspiration from Rodriguez's music. And, you know, you might say, well, why wasn't Rodriguez made aware of this fame and popularity in, in this other country? Well, there are several reasons. I mean, first, as as noted, you know, South Africa had many sanctions against them. I mean, they not, not much information got in or out. And uh, since his music was anti-establishment, his music was suppressed as often as, as they could they could do so in fact i mean when the radio companies got his album there'd be an official that might come in and, and actually take a key or a scribe and scratch out certain songs on this record just so the dj couldn't play those songs on the air another tragic um reason is that somehow all of these eventual sales from his album uh they somehow never made it back to rodriguez i mean it, it and it just Simply due to the the shadiness of the record companies back then, I mean, you could you could find countless um, documentation of 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 shadiness within record companies and, and artists not getting their dues, not getting paid what they deserved, uh, not getting certain net proceeds of of their sales, um, and you know, and and of course, I'm sure they realized that he wasn't pushing very hard for this information about his sales. And, and you keep in mind, uh, Sussex was only around, I think, from 1969 to like 75. So by the time any sales started generating, I mean, they probably kept that money to stay afloat. I mean, I would, I mean, that's just my guess. I don't know, have any facts about that, but I mean, regardless, whatever it was, was, I mean, it was, it just never made its way back to him. So, I mean, he had no awareness of, of any of that, um, and I mean, I think at the time it's believed that his first album in South America alone sold upward of like half a million copies or more uh, at the time. And, uh, and, and again, that's, that's with him probably selling, I'm speculating here and from what I've kind of gathered, like less than a hundred, it sounds like, I mean, it's it just like, he sold nothing here. Um, and so, uh, you know, of course, thousands of South Africans and even Australians too, um, because he he really blew up in in Australia as well. Uh, thousands of people wanted to know more about him because all they really 
had to go off of was the photo of him on on the cover of his first album cold fact which again if you go and google that you'll you'll see it's just it's just a photo of him sitting crisscross um, with some sunglasses and a hat on um that's all i mean just a photo of him and then just some you know credits uh you know and right you know and um and maybe some liner notes um, but just just very very limited information was given about who he was, and um, keep in mind that um, at the time, you know they're they're just there. Like I said, there wasn't much information getting in or out of South South Africa, and with this guy, you know, have having limited um, information about him, it's not like he was like one of the Beatles, where like you know for the most part the world kind of knew who the Beatles were. I mean. You know, unless you were living out in the sticks somewhere, I mean, you had a pretty good information, you know, and trail about who the Beatles were, Paul McCartney and so on, about, who, you know, some facts about them. This guy had nothing. Again, he just had a, a photo of him on an album cover. Um, now, like with most unknowns, many rumors began forming. I mean, and one major rumor that stuck and kind of also led to why not much, um, there wasn't much of a push to really find out more about the guy is because there was a rumor that went around that he had actually died already and he committed suicide of some kind. Uh, there were several variances about how that happened, but the most common one uh, was that he was playing a show and for some reason it didn't go well. The audience was being incredibly rude and continuously ridiculing him. And he ended up playing one final song in which he said uh, something along the lines of, thank you for your time, then you thank me for mine. And after that said, forget it. And then he sat down on his guitar, reached into his bag, pulled out a gun, and shot himself on stage. And believe it or not, again, because South Africa was so isolated at the time, and obviously this was before the internet, I mean, everybody just accepted this as a fact. Like, there was no one that really, really pursued uh, any kind of effort to find out more, except for one fan. Uh, Craig Bartholomew, uh, I think it's Streetum or Stridum, uh, was a South African music journalist, and he was a freelance writer. For decades, he tried to find any information he could on Rodriguez. Uh, just you know, he's a big fan. Again, he was a journalist, and he even went as far as like dissecting his lyrics and um, and making trips to some of these countries and places noted in his songs to see if he could locate Rodriguez. Um, however, he always came back with nothing. Now, at the same time, over in Australia, again, he he was actually he actually got some a little bit of popularity, and he toured there a couple times before he, uh, like I mentioned, he he kind of retired from music. Um, but uh, he, he uh, there's a man named uh, 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 Stephen Seegerman who co-owned this record store named I think it's Mabu. or it's Mabu. One, I think it's probably Mabu. It's a it's a it's a very popular. Um, and famous uh, uh, vinyl store in, or music store in, in Cape Town, Australia. And around 1996 or so, being such a big fan and follower of Rodriguez's music, he was actually asked to write the liner notes for South Africa's first release of his Rodriguez's second album, uh, Coming uh, From Reality, uh, on CD. So it was the first release of a CD form of that album in South Africa. And the record company asked if if he could make a, like a just a little bit of the notes, uh, do the liner notes for that album, and a little snippet of those notes included 
that not much is known of Rodriguez, nor are there really any concrete facts about what happened to him. And he ended it by asking, any musicologists out there? Well, Craig happened to buy this CD in South Africa, and he took it as a challenge and an interesting, like I said, topic idea to write an article on. Um, and so that's what kind of led to him going on that that hunt for him and trying to, you know, dissect his music and dissect the, you know, his lyrics and try to figure out any any information he could. And his article was going to be about what happened to him and how did he die. So Craig decided to contact Stephen. Uh, and eventually flew to meet Stephen at a coffee shop in Cape Town to discuss what what they knew, uh, what each other knew, and what they had. And due to lack of information, they they basically kind of felt like they reached a dead end. Um, and Stephen ended up creating a website called the Big Rodriguez Hunt, which included a forum to hopefully gather more information from anyone who uh, could help him. Either I mean. At the time, you were just trying to find out information about him. But, you know, any, anybody that knew him or, or knew anything about him um, to, uh, to basically post there and, and hopefully, yeah, like kind of get, get some conclusion. And around this time, not much later than their meeting, uh, Craig was driving in his car, listening to Rodriguez's first album, uh, when Inner City Blues, which was one of the songs in the album, uh, it came on. And during the song, he discovered that one of the lyrics, which notes... Met a girl in Dearborn early six o'clock this morning. A cold fact, and he realized, huh? I, I, I never looked up Dearborn before. That sounds like the name of a town or a city. And so he went home to one of his atlas books, and in the index looked up Dearborn, Dearborn, Dearborn. There it is, Dearborn, Michigan. And he found a local recording studio there, and, and he contacts a man named Mike Theodore, who happened to be the producer on Rodriguez's first album, Cold Fact. And so Craig ends up telling Mike this story, uh, you know, um, about how, what led to the phone call, and and, uh, and then he just let him in on all of his, Rodriguez's success in South Africa, and, my, and Mike just couldn't believe, believe it. You know, he had no, he had no idea that, that he had any kind of fame outside of the U.S. Um, to that extent, I should say. And he was in disbelief when, when Craig tells him that without, without exaggeration, Rodriguez was more famous in South Africa than Elvis Presley or the Rolling Stones. He had sold more albums than Elvis Presley or the Rolling Stones. And, and I, even, I even read the Beatles. I mean, like he was one of the top selling artists of all time um, in South Africa. And so he continues asking him all kinds of questions, you know, about who Rodriguez was, about uh, the recording process, and just, you know, fanboying out. And finally, he asked him the most important question in his brain, what happened to him? How did he die? I, I've heard so many rumors. I don't know which one to believe. Which one is it? Finally, can I, you know, can I get some some uh, some details? And Mike responds, die? What do you mean? He's not dead. Sixo's alive. He's living in Detroit. And he's just what like he's just taken back like what are you talking about and uh you know at, at at this point he just couldn't believe it he instantly relayed this this info to to uh, steven who who himself was like what what are you talking about and uh you know so craig decides to write and publish this article 
and calls it searching for Jesus. And in his in his mind, he got some closure. That's really what he wanted is just to find out like what happened to him and is he alive or dead? Oh, he's alive. Wow, that's that's amazing. And in his brain, he was done. Um, so he writes this article, and somehow this article makes it all the way back across the ocean to the U.S., where it actually gets in the hands of somebody who knows Rodriguez's oldest daughter, Ava. And she, too, was taken back like, what What are you talking about? Like, famous? What? And so she decides to go and look online, and she happens to come across Stephen's website. And so she essentially comments on his forum and gives her his contact information, to which Stephen immediately calls her uh, and notes that if all at all possible, he would love the opportunity to talk to uh, to talk to Rodriguez sometime, and uh, they hang up. And around one a.m. South African time that same night, Stephen gets a call from the man himself, and uh, he's just again fanboying out. He's just giddy. He's just he's he's asking you know all these kind of things like, do you realize how famous you are here? Like you're you're like your note your so your notoriety is and 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 just like how many people you've inspired and and how much we love you down here and he just says please please if you'll ever consider it you have to to come down here and and perform you will not regret it and your fans would just love it and he's thinking fans what this is there's no way this is real and so he he kind of mulls it over and then finally uh, the next year he agrees and so it's March 2nd of 1998 he agrees to go and he and his daughters um, fly out and a funny thing to note is that like he, he up to this time before and and even after all of this he was still working a normal job like he was working a construction job during this time so after he got this phone call and decides he's gonna go he actually goes to work and he goes up to his boss who's a guy named Rick Emerson and he's like, yeah, uh, I'm going to have to take a week off. He's like, why? He's like, I guess I got to go down to South Africa and do some concerts down there. I guess I'm I guess I'm famous down there. And his boss is just like, what? What did you just say? And he, yeah, if you watch the documentary, his, his boss is like, he said this and we thought he was joking. I'm like, I almost drug tested him. Like, I was like, what are you talking about? And but he goes and so um, on March 6th, so only four days later, only four days of, of rehearsal down there, uh, he plays to a sold-out crowd in a in Bel- uh, Belleville Velodome in Cape Town. He sells it out, and when he walks out on stage, the, be- the backup band, which is actually, I, I believe it's members of a very popular South African band down there, who, of course, when they, when they were asked, they're like, well, one, are you pulling my leg? Like, this guy's dead. You're telling me he's alive? And then two, it's like, uh, yeah, duh, of course we'll play for him, you know, if he's the real deal. And in fact, I think I think Sixto even came midway through one of their rehearsals and then immediately just started like playing along. And they're just like, what? The f-? They didn't even introduce each other. They're just like, here I am, let's start going. And he just started playing. Um, but uh, when he came out on stage, the band began playing, but then had to abruptly stop due to like almost 10 straight minutes of just cheering and applause. Like, I think half the people were just in disbelief. Like, because half the people, again, like I said, and they said this in the documentary, they all thought he was dead. 
I mean, it's it, not like word got out to everybody, you know, South Africa that he's alive. I mean, when it was kind of just like one day, it's like finding out one day, the comparison is, is like Elvis is alive. Like, hey, you know how you all thought Elvis has been dead for the last 20 years? Yeah, he's actually alive and he's coming to do a performance here. You know, that's to them, that's what it was like. And so they, it sold out just from half the people wanting to see if this was the real deal or not, or just an imposter. Um, and so he went on to perform a total of six sold out shows in South Africa on that same trip in 1998. And then after that uh, tour, he came back to Detroit where he clocked back into his normal construction job. You know, he just showed up on a Monday or whatever. It's like, all right, I'm back. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom, you know, one day you're told like, oh yeah, you have thousands and thousands of adoring fans. You're going to go on a sold out tour trip and then come back and be like, yep, I'm back boss. And you know, Hey, go dig a hole over here. You know, I, I, anyways, I, and cause again, he lives so modestly. It's not like he had a lot of popularity here. And then he was told he has popularity there. He had, he was a normal everyday working Joe, just like, you know, just like anybody else. Um, and, uh, so since this time he's returned over four times to play in South Africa, uh, performed over 30 concerts there. And his, and a little fun fact is that his bodyguard, while he was on these South uh, South African tours, uh, the bodyguard ended up falling in love and marrying his oldest daughter Ava, and she ended up moving down to South Africa where they have a child together. Um, maybe even more by now, but as, as of when it was reported, they had at least one child together. So it's kind of cool because now he has roots there as well because of his because of his daughter and then grandchild. Um, so uh, since then. Since all of this, he's actually been given an honorary uh, Doctor of Humans Letter degree uh, from his alma mater, Wayne State University in Detroit, which again is where he got his bachelor's. Um, he does still perform when he can, and he loves to do so. But uh, as you know, as of late, he's he suffers from glaucoma, which has drastically limited his vision. So as a result, he he moves very slowly when he walks, and he's usually you know clutching onto somebody else's arm. Um, but despite only, you know, recently making like several million from his tours in the, since the nineties, um, and the well-deserved recognition from, uh, his Oscar winning documentary in 2012, which again is called searching for, uh, sugar man. Um, he still lives a very simple and modest life. I mean, and as of like the mid 20 teens, it was noted that he doesn't even have a phone, like a landline or a cell phone. So, I mean, I don't know if that's still true in 2020, but, yeah, I mean, it's still, even for the 20 teens, that's, you know, he's just kind of living off the grid, not off the grid, but just modest and simple. Um, any, like I said, any extra money he's gotten from all this, he's he's given to his family, to his daughters um, and grandchildren. And one of the great things about him is that in honor of both his and his daughter's Native American heritage, um, he still, you know, he wears a Native American symbol. I'm not sure what the symbol represents, but it's, he still wears it a medallion around his neck. Um, and he's done countless events and concerts for various tribes of Michigan uh, over the past, like, decades. I mean, he's, he's been doing it for decades. Um, and he, he's just such a humble man, and I'm, I'm just so glad that he's finally gotten this well-deserved recognition um, I mean, who knows where his life might have been, um, it, how different it might have been if he it got this information back when it happened in the 70s. Um, but then again, 
from from what I've kind of gathered watching these documentaries and, and interviews, I mean, he's totally fine with how his life turned out. Or it turned out, you know. Of course, he's kind of like, yeah, you know, it would have been nice to know, but he's still very happy. I mean, like I said, he's he's gotten another daughter since then. Um, he's uh, made some great friends around him. I mean, he's he's totally humble and happy with how his life turned out. Now, he could sit here and be sour and say, you know, the record company screwed me over, which they did. They did both by not telling him and holding proceeds from him because I still, it's not, from everything I've read, they still don't know how the money never got to him. Because you would think, you would think that if your client was famous somewhere and was getting all these sales, you would think that they, you know, would want to promote that and tell him to get him down there to tour. But I, I maybe some of it came from the fact that so many copies that were pro, quote unquote sold were probably bootlegged off of that original album. Um, but it, it, you know, regardless, he def, there was some kind of backstabbing and you know, you know, screwing him over going on. So it's unfortunate. But again, you know, he's he's a very happy guy. Um, and I would I would love to watch him perform sometime, but I I, I don't know if that will ever be possible. But uh, yeah, that's that's Rodriguez for you. Please go check out them, especially Cold Fact. I mean, you you won't regret um, checking it out. I mean, it's on Spotify. It's on all the platforms. I mean, and and even he's done some like live performances that um, his those videos are on YouTube, and it's just beautiful. He sings beautiful live. It's it's just incredible. So please please check them out yeah so that said that is episode three i really appreciate anybody that tunes in um i promise i promise i'm gonna do so much better coming out and and be more consistent coming out with episodes um like i said i already have episode four in mind it's um it's gonna be a great one i'm i'm kind of gathering information on it now but uh this band is is actually also from Detroit, Michigan. Um, it is a punk band, and they are regarded. It, it spoiler alert, but uh, for those of you that hung in till the end here, it, they're regarded as being the first uh, black punk band uh, unofficially, and uh, it, it is it is an amazing story in itself, and also you know. When I put it out there, feel free to check out those documentaries and read about them as well. It's it's a fascinating story, but definitely check out uh, Rodriguez. Check out his music. Watch the documentary, uh, Searching for Sugar Man. It's fantastic. And again, I, I want to give credit where credit's due. I, I I I'm not the best at at citing sources, but I want to make it very clear that you know I've I've watched YouTube videos. I've watched um, the documentary uh, Searching for Sugar Man, which is where the bulk the bulk of this information came from. Uh, the Rolling Stone magazine, um, and again, some of his live interviews that he's done. I have not read the book. I failed on that because it, it, I just didn't have time to sit down, but he does have an autobiography. Uh, check that out too if you really want to dive deep into some better better stories and, and more, you know, get, get, gather some of these, you know, little bits and pieces within the facts, uh, which is what I'm trying to do here. So, uh, um, yeah, thank you again for tuning in. And I appreciate everybody that's uh, supporting me. I enjoy doing this, and I, I would love feedback, and I would love uh, you know any recommendations for some future episodes because I'm I'm gonna keep doing these, and I'd love to kind of get some advice on who to check out and and uh, who you find interesting because I I 
would wage wager that I probably would find them interesting as well. So I love that. That's what this is all about is just sharing the love of music and sharing sharing artists with each other across multiple genres um, and just crossing over from rock to hip hop to country to folk. I mean, you name it. I love it. So uh, hopefully I can kind of inspire those listening to do the same. Anyways, thank you again. And uh, yeah, catch you on episode four. Thanks.